Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Adam, to one and all. Welcome to the annual Christmas bonus episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast, the podcast all about Christmas history, Christmas traditions, Christmas media, and everything else Christmas. I hope you're enjoying the season. It's going way too fast for me. I haven't even finished putting up all the decorations yet, but we've had some really good times. My wife found this fun thing called Enchant, where it's this giant maze of Christmas lights and you have to find Santa's reindeer. It was a load of fun. We made Christmas cookies with our friends and what's become an annual tradition that includes me horribly attempting to frost a Mickey Mouse shaped cookie. We also went to San Jose's Christmas in the Park, which seemed more popular than ever this year. And as for Christmas entertainment, I'm woefully behind. I haven't seen the Ryan Reynolds Will Ferrell movie Spirited yet, nor the Christmas Story sequel, but I don't have Apple TV or HBO Max, so that was always going to be a challenge. But I do have the Hallmark Channel, and yet somehow I've only managed to watch one new Hallmark Christmas movie this year. At least it was a pretty great one. Three Wise Men and a Baby, it was so good. I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Uh, I enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I I liked Violent Night, but I wouldn't recommend it for the Christmas traditionalists out there. Definitely a gory movie. One Christmas series I made the time for this year, though, was The Santa Clauses on Disney+. Plus, Which brings us to today's countdown feature, Five Golden Things. So this was the year we finally got a sequel to Tim Allen's Santa Claus movies. The series was six episodes, or chapters, on Disney+. In our bonus episode back in September, we talked a bit about it because Tim Allen, Elizabeth Mitchell, Cal Penn, and others from the series did a panel at this year's D23 Expo to talk about the series. And while I generally enjoy the Santa Claus films, apart from the third one, they are not without their Santa flaws. So I had some questions going into this series, and I was hoping this series would answer them. So I thought I would go through the top five questions I had and see if the series answered them. Don't worry, I won't drop any spoilers if you haven't seen the series yet. So, let's go ho 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 ho! Number five! How could the Santa Claus contract be binding? So I'm starting with this one because it has always kind of bugged me. The premise of the Santa Claus has Tim Allen, Scott Calvin, surprising Santa. He falls off the roof, and Scott finds a card that says, if anything happens to me, put on the suit, the reindeer will know what to do. He then puts on the suit, gets in the sleigh, and delivers presents in Santa's place all night. Then the sleigh takes him back to the North Pole, where he learns there was additional print on the card. The titular Santa Claus that says, In putting on the suit and entering the sleigh, the wearer waves all previous identities, real or implied, and fully accepts the duties and responsibilities of Santa Claus in perpetuity, to which time the wearer becomes unable to do so by either accident or design. Now, I have to wonder... How can that contract be binding if Scott was completely unaware of that text before putting on the suit? It's not like he could agree to those terms when he wasn't even aware they existed. It's not even like when you install a new software and click agree without reading the user agreement. He didn't even have a chance to click on anything. I've actually reached out to a few popular YouTube lawyers over the years to try and get them to come on the show and talk about this. Sadly, no one has replied. So, did the series answer this question? 
Not explicitly. And to be fair, I wasn't really expecting them to. I feel like this was just a thing that you're just supposed to accept. Like, this is the premise of the movie. Just go with it. But if there was some actual legal system at the North Pole, I'm not a big city YouTube lawyer, but I have a feeling you could get out of this contract. Number four. What happened to Bernard? In the Santa Claus 1 and 2, Santa's right-hand elf is Bernard, played by David Krumholtz. But then, in the Santa Claus 3, the escape clause, Bernard is nowhere to be found, and suddenly, Curtis is head elf. Bernard doesn't even get a mention. Where did he go? I mean, I know it's because David Krumholtz was busy with the TV show Numbers, but in the world of the Santa Claus, where did Bernard go? So, does the series answer this question? Yes. And I said I'd keep it spoiler-free, so I will, but Bernard was in the trailer, so he knew he was back for this. Although it does now bring up a new question. What happened to Curtis? Now Curtis is gone. Oh well, another list for another day. Number three. What happened to the Santa we met in 1993? So in the first Santa Claus, Santa falls off the roof, waves to no one in particular, and then disappears, literally and figuratively. His body actually vanishes, but he's also never mentioned again. The elves don't seem too fussed that this random new guy shows up. My elves, a man has just died. Not just a man, the embodiment of the spirit of Christmas. Can't we at least pour some eggnog out in honor of your fallen homie? You elves are heartless. So, does the series answer this question? Yes. But you'll have to stick it out till chapter 5. And it's not just an answer, it's a huge retcon that changes the whole story. But fair is fair, they gave us an answer. Number 2. What happened to the Mrs. Claus from 1993? So in the Santa Claus 2, we've learned there was even more fine print on the card Santa read the night he became Santa. There was an additional clause. Santa has to get married. This is referred to as the Mrs. Claus. This is all well and good as a way to set up the action of the movie, but let's rewind back to the first movie. Santa falls off a roof and disappears. Scott takes over and goes to the North Pole at the end of the night. But if this clause is true, shouldn't there be a Mrs. Claus at the North Pole who's heartbroken that her husband is never coming home? If the first Santa barely gets a mention, poor Mrs. Claus gets nothing. Where is this woman? (laughs) So, does the series answer this question? Yes and no. They seem like they're building up to it, then they kind of hang a lampshade on the fact that they don't actually answer it. When they retcon the story, they make the Mrs. Claus part even more confusing. I worry if there's a season two, it will involve the original Mrs. Claus's revenge. Number one! Why wasn't the escape clause mentioned in the first movie? So, despite the fact that Scott Calvin eventually embraces being Santa, initially, he very much did not want to be. He wanted to go back to his regular non-Santa life. He tried desperately to, but events forced him to take up the mantle again the next year and all the years after. But, in the Santa Claus 3 The Escape Clause, we learn there was even more fine print on this card. Basically, Scott gets to go back in time and stop himself from ever being Santa. Why would no one mention that to Scott the first Christmas? He is clearly not into being Santa. Bernard doesn't seem that impressed with him. We can solve this problem in one movie. (laughs) So, does the series answer this question? I'm going to go with sorta? They don't explicitly say it, but when they retcon the story, there's an implication that there was a reason no one told Scott about the escape clause. And that's all I'll say without spoiling it. And that's my list of questions. How about you? Any parts of the Santa Claus movies confuse you? Did you watch the Disney Plus series? If you did, what did you think? Let me know at Christmas at TanCast.com. We can chat more about this in the new year. But now it's time for the grand finale of Merry Castmas. Movies and shows can be cast many ways. Merry Castmas. 
from you All year I've been asking you to recast the movies and specials we know and love every Christmas to see if we can make something new, exciting, or at the very least, interesting. This is the last one of the year, so we're recastmasing the quintessential holiday movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And our first cast list comes from Hillary, who says, Happy official Christmas season, Tim. Here is my recastmas for It's a Wonderful Life. George, Adam Driver. Mary, Mila Kunis. Clarence, Dick Van Dyke. Mr. Potter, Christopher Lee. Uncle Billy, Stephen Colbert. Harry Bailey, Sebastian Stan. Every single casting choice on your list is inspired, Hillary. Christopher Lee is so good at being villainous, he'd be a great Potter. Adam Driver is not an obvious choice for George, but I'd love to see what he'd do with it. I love me and Lacunas, Stephen Colbert, and Sebastian Stan, so I'd love to see them. But the tip of the top, the cream of the crop, Dick Van Dyke as Clarence is just so perfect that I wish it could happen for real. Dick Van Dyke is a bona fide legend, and he would be magical as Clarence. Thanks for these suggestions, Hillary. Then we got this entry from Tim, who says, I hope it isn't too late. Also, keep in mind, I'm using lots of Christmas magic to make the actors the right age at the right time for each role. Gotcha, Tim. That's cool. That is within the rules of the game. Let's see what your cast is. For George, Brendan Fraser. Mary, Jamie Lee Curtis. Potter, Charles Dance. Clarence, John Goodman. Uncle Billy, Tim Blake Nelson. Harry Bailey, Ethan Hawke. Pa Bailey, the late, great Ray Liotta. Ma Bailey, Francis McDormand. Ernie, Scott Grimes. Bert, Kevin Durand. Violet Beck, Natalie Dormer. Sam Wainwright, Ron Livingston. Cousin Tilly, Shabon Fallon Hogan. Ruth Bailey, Amanda Seyfried. Annie, Wanda Sykes. Martini, John Turturro. Miss Martini, Marissa Tomei. Nick, Vigo Morganson. Finally, and most importantly, kid who opens the door over the pool, Johnny Knoxville. Keep up the good work you do. Well, thank you, Tim. And that is quite a good list. I do like Clarence as John Goodman. That is not something I would have thought of had you not mentioned it, but now I can totally see him doing it. And of course, the inclusion of Johnny Knoxville inspired. Thanks again. And uh, sadly, we didn't get too many more entries for this final edition. I was beginning to think people didn't like this segment until I got this letter from John, who says, I'm sorry to say I cannot think of a good recastmas for the It's a Wonderful Life. The original is perfect. Also, It's a Wonderful Life is possibly my favorite movie of all time. You said you can't get through the scene with young George Bailey at the druggist soda shop without tears, and neither can I. Merry Christmas to you and your family. I mean, that's fair. It's a Wonderful Life is great the way it is, and maybe some folks just don't want to mess with it, and I can respect that. But I do want to close out this segment with a letter from Scott. Spoiler alert, if you are a newer listener, this isn't going to hit quite as hard, but if you've been with the show for a while, buckle up, because Scott's letter is packed with can't-wait-for-Christmas goodness. Here's what Scott wrote. It's Scott from all the way back in episode 23, checking in to let you know that the kids and I are still listening. We even got my wife, their mom, on board. I should say that at this point, I use the term kids lightly, as one of them is in high school now. But let's not dwell on the inevitable passing of time. Yeah, I know what you mean, Scott. Uh, The baby you hear laughing at the beginning of every episode is now eight years old. What? Sorry, back to your letter. Anyway, I wanted to end the year with Mary Casmus of It's a Wonderful Life, featuring some of my favorite players from the Bab Auditory Universe, the real BAU. By that, of course, I mean the imaginary listeners who sound almost too familiar to be a coincidence. I'm also going to pull cast members from the BAU classic A Bomb for Christmas, which can be heard in its entirety in episode 74. 
For our lead role of George Bailey, I'm going with the obvious pick and selecting the ghost of Bing Crosby. I think this pick might be so on the nose that no further explanation is required, but let's just say that if we can keep him on topic, the ghost of Bing Crosby can certainly hold his own as the everyman who begins to question the point of it all. Honestly, I'd make this pick if for no other reason than to hear that lovely baritone on Buffalo Gal. For our leading lady, Mary Hatch, I'd cast dedicated police officer Holly McTiernan from A Bomb for Christmas. We need a strong leading lady to work opposite the ghost of Bing Crosby, and Holly has proven that she's tough as nails and has a heart of gold. For Mr. Potter, I'm going back to A Bomb for Christmas and casting the lead villain in that movie, spoiler? Alana Rikmanovich. For my version of the character, Mr. Potter will be portrayed by Alana in her normal restaurant owner attire. The twist is she would generally speak in the Rikmanovich Russian guy voice for no particular reason, but she would also slip into her real voice whenever frustrated or excited. I'm not sure what I find so funny about this idea, but a character simply trying to hold on to an accent for absolutely no reason adds a new facet to the general evil rich guy character of Henry Potter. For Uncle Billy, we need a character who has the ability to come off as completely flustered at any time, so I'd cast the imaginary listener who sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. In one exciting scene, imaginary Arnold would absolutely tear apart his office and frantically searching for the lost money. The slapstick that would come out of that one scene would make this casting all worth it. For Clarence the Angel, I'd cast festival organizer George from A Bomb for Christmas. George provides just the right mix of excitability and good-heartedness that defines the Clarence character. I'll go back to a bomb for Christmas for the next few picks. First, I'll cast Betty, the store owner, as Mrs. Bailey. She's kind, thoughtful, and seems like a natural caregiver. And that's how I view Mrs. Bailey. For Mr. Bailey, let's cast Captain Willis. Captain Willis seems like a man who cares about his people, much like Mr. Bailey cares for the people who live in Bedford Falls. For Harry Bailey, I'd cast the imaginary listener who sounds like George Bailey. There's just something about his voice that makes me think it would fit well with the Bailey family. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there's definitely something there. For the Bailey children, let's first go back to A Bomb for Christmas and cast Kimberly, the Christmas sweater contest winner, as Janie, and Quinn and Patrick from their children's choir as Pete and Tommy, respectively. For Zuzu, let's move back to imaginary listeners and cast the imaginary listener who sounds a bit like Darth Vader. In this version of the movie, Zuzu's cold led to some temporary congestion issues that, while not serious, influence her voice for the duration of the feature. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that, that, that tickled me. For store owner Mr. Gower, let's go back to A Bomb for Christmas and cast Joe McCringleberry. They both own businesses. They both face tragic, Bower, or at least potentially tragic, McCringleberry events. They also both owe a debt of gratitude to those who protected them during high-stress situations. Works for me. For Mr. Martini, let's cast Bobby McTiernan. Both are family men, loyal, and just need a little help along the way. For the next few members of the cast, we can focus on imaginary listeners. For Miss Anne, let's cast the imaginary listener who sounds like a prospector. If for no other reason, then it makes me laugh to think of that voice saying, I've been saving this money for a divorce if I ever get a husband. <laughs> for taxi driver Ernie Bishop, let's cast the imaginary listener who sounds like Kermit the Frog. And for his buddy, Bert the Policeman, let's cast the imaginary listener who sounds like Mickey Mouse. That's a team-up that should be well-received. Finally, let's take one more trip back to A Bomb for Christmas and cast Mayor Candace DeLeo as Violet Bick and Victor, the Russian henchman, as Sam Wainwright. I think that's about as far as I should go with this because I'm excited to hear what other listeners have chosen. With that said, I don't want to miss an opportunity to thank you, Tim Babb, for creating such a wonderful experience for your listeners every month. For me, this podcast has been everything from a cherry on top of a great month to a light in the darkness during some less than great ones, and I'm sure my sentiments are echoed in the experiences of many of your other listeners. We greatly appreciate all that you do and also for giving us access to your amazing talents and even appropriate peek into the healthy family that supports you along the way. Merry Christmas, Scott. Woo! Scott. 
I don't even know where to begin. I am so humbled by your letter. What a great trip down memory lane it was, especially for the labor of love that was a bomb for Christmas. The nature of a podcast is you got to pump something new out every month, so there's not a lot of time to reflect on what you've already done or look back, but I really enjoy the experience of making a bomb for Christmas. I can't thank the listeners enough who lent their time and their talent to my silly little idea of turning Die Hard into a Hallmark movie. And of course, it was fun to work with my wife in the lead. My sons have asked to listen to it on long car rides multiple times. So, long story short, Scott, thank you for that amazing letter. Thank you for listening all these years, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. And I can't think of a better way to wrap up our show and our season. Thank you all so much for- Hold on there, partner! Hey, imaginary listener, sounds like an old-timey prospector. What's up? You haven't updated us on your mission! I I had a mission? Oh, come on! Hey, former California governor and star of the perennial holiday classic Jingle All the Way, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're here too? Of course I am. The imaginary listener Christmas party is today. We're going to play some sweet Christmas tunes and get down! Ah, of course. But that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about the mission you've been on since September. Yeah, huh? We want to know if Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree made it to number one on Billboard's Holiday 100 list. Hey, imaginary listener, sounds kind of like Mickey Mouse, but for copyright and trademark reasons, is definitely not Mickey Mouse. Unfortunately, it did not. No! Take it easy, listener with asthma that could easily be confused for Darth Vader. It's all right. But you've been promoting her song on the show every day on TikTok, all over social media. How could we have failed? First of all, I don't know that we failed. I never explicitly set out to make the song number one. It would take quite a feat to dethrone Mariah Carey at this point. Oh, yeah. Mariah's got a stranglehold on this whole Christmas season. Right you are, imaginary listener. It sounds kind of like George Bailey. But Underneath the Tree did re-enter the top 10 Holiday 100 for the first time in years in 2022. Well, that's not nothing. And it climbed to number 22 on Billboard's all-time holiday songs list. Oh, boy. And as of this recording, it's currently climbing the iTunes charts with a chance to crack the top 10. This will be a Christmas long remembered. So I guess we all learned something today. What's that, imaginary listener? Sounds kind of like Hermit the Frog. I guess underneath the tree was inside us all along. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, then I guess the real underneath the tree was the friends we made along the way. Still no. How about, even if the song isn't number one, we all got to spend the last few months celebrating and enjoying a great piece of Christmas music. That's the spirit, the holiday spirit. Speaking of celebrating the song, we can do that right now. Come on, everybody. You're here where you should be. The snow is falling as a carol sing. Just was it the same, alone on Christmas Day. Uh-huh. Presents! What a beautiful sight! Don't be a thing you ain't holding me tight! You're all that I need! Underneath the tree! Yeah, tonight! I'm gonna hold you close! Make sure that you know! I was lost before you! Old Christmas was cold and gray! Another holiday! Alone to celebrate! But then, one day, one day everything changed! You're all in need! <laughs> Underneath the tree! You're here! Where should be? The snow is falling as a kerosene! It just wasn't the same! Alone on Christmas Day! Underneath the tree. Underneath the tree. Woo! Now, 
is our show. Thank you for being with us for another year of Christmas joy. I hope your holiday is a healthy and happy one, and I'll see you next year. Unless you're in the Bay Area, then I really hope to see you December 30th and 31st at Rooster Chief Feathers Comedy Club. I'll be doing one show on the 30th and two shows New Year's Eve. Links to the tickets are in the show notes. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and until next time, Yule Believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2022. Oh. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, Can't Wait for Christmas pod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! Then the sleigh takes him back to the North Pole. Then the play... Ah! He wanted to go back to his regular non-Santa life. He tried desperately to, but the events... For- All right, fine, I'll reread it. I, I read a line wrong, and I tried to just keep going, because I'm like, oh, it kind of makes sense, but my brain is like, you read it wrong, you read it wrong, you read it wrong, you read it wrong. That's all I'm hearing in my own head. You read it wrong, you read it wrong, you read it wrong. Fine, I'll go back, brain. Leave me alone.